All right, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from us with all malice. And verse 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And verse, verse 1 of chapter 5, chapter 5 actually belongs with chapter 4, the, the flow uh, of the argument continues. Therefore, he says, be imitators of God. In other words, God is the standard here. As dear children, as his beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Uh, looking at this before we participate in our communion service, I just wanted to make a few observations on this. And and you see how this fits first Sunday of the new year, forgiving people for everything they've done to us in this past year or in past years, and receiving forgiveness from God for what we've done it's all right here in, in this section, and it's interesting. Uh, a lot of times we hear about Christ as our example, but here he puts God himself, God the Father, forward as an example for us. That God is pictured here in what some call the sweetest passage in the Bible. Certainly a beautiful passage showing God as forgiving, tender-hearted, kind. Those are all verses in verse 32. And he says here, let all bitterness, all wrath, all anger, clamor, slander be put away. And be kind, be tender-hearted, forgiving as God forgave you through Jesus Christ. In other words, God is the standard here. And then he starts again, chapter 5, verse 1, and be imitators or be like God as beloved children. That is, since you are his children, be like the Father. This is not the first time that the Bible calls on us to be like God the Father. In Matthew 5, 45, it says that he makes... His son rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. And so Jesus said, therefore, we should love everyone and forgive everyone. Because what reward is it and how are you different if you love everybody but don't love the sinners? Therefore, he says, be perfect or full grown, fully developed, be mature as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's Matthew 5, 45 through 47. He uses God. He says, look, God sends rain on the 
bad people and the good people. He gives families and homes and blessings and health and strength and children to both good people and bad people. You can't tell who the good people are and the bad people are by looking at their lives because God is so good. He blesses all of them. So you can't distinguish by blessing who are good and bad people. You can only say, you know what? God is really good because I can't even tell who the bad people are. Amen? I mean, they have as much as I do, and I'm righteous. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm not saying that, that I'm righteous. I'm saying that that would be a hypothetical person speaking. But you can't look out and say, who's got the best jobs? Who's got the nicest cars? Who's got the nicest homes? Who's got the best clothes? That, those are the people God really loves. No, you cannot determine that based on outward blessing because he blesses everybody. So he says, when you come to bless, when you come to be nice, when you come to be kind to people, he said, be kind to everybody. That's the way God is. And so if you want to be like your heavenly father, Jesus said, be like him. By making no distinction. So what he's doing here, this is, this is Paul in chapter 5, verse, verse 1. Be imitators, mimics. As beloved children, as dear children, you're his children. You should bear his image. Um, I reading some time ago uh, a book, uh, and I, I had heard this story before, but some of you have heard of Dr. Charles Stanley, uh, First Baptist Church in Atlanta. Uh, he's been there over 40 years. He came, uh, he, he's now, I think Dr. Stanley is over 80 years of age, still pastoring First Baptist Church of Atlanta, which gives me great encouragement, by the way. And he began there as an assistant, and then when the pastor resigned, they asked him to fill in for the pastor until they got somebody, but he... People liked him so well, they just said, well, why don't you just stay on? But he was a very much of a Bible preacher and a gospel preacher, and people were converted, and there were quite a few of the leaders who didn't like him. In fact, some of the key deacons didn't like him at First Baptist Church in Atlanta. And so they tried to get rid of him. They came to him and asked him to resign, and he said, I only if the church asks me. And they managed to call a business session in order to vote him out. They thought they had enough votes. As it turned out, they didn't when everybody showed up. And uh, Dr. Stanley was at the pulpit of First Baptist Church, and he was moderating the meeting and letting people come and speak. Should we keep him? Should we not keep him? And the man who was very opposed stood up and was giving a speech on why get rid of Dr. Charles Stanley. This was 40-some years ago. And he was so adamant that he used a cuss word from the pulpit. And uh, 
Dr. Stanley knew he didn't like him, but he said, okay, look, um, he put, walked up and put his hand on his shoulder and said, just don't use bad language. And when Dr. Stanley touched him, this guy standing at the pulpit turned and smacked him right in the mouth. I mean, full walk. And Dr. Stanley simply did what the what Jesus basically taught was turn the other cheek. He did nothing. And this was on television because First Baptist Church was on TV. So the church was packed. The city was watching on TV how Dr. Stanley would react. And he reacted in kindness. And that cemented his the vote to keep him as the pastor. And it also got the other guys kicked out. And here is what I read because perhaps just as significant is a 13-year-old little boy was sitting about three or four pews back and it was his son, Andy. And here's what Andy wrote. Andy Stanley, who's now pastoring a church larger in Atlanta than his father's. And he wrote these words. He said, When the man turned and smacked him full in the face, and he stood in humility and reacted in kindness, he says, I watched my hero, my dad, stand up to evil and win without firing a shot. I knew right then I wanted to be that kind of man. Now, some of us do not have fathers like Dr. Charles Stanley. Guess what? Yes, we do. You see right here, verse 1, be imitators of God as His own beloved or dear children. You are His. He is your Father. You are His child. You are to take your standard from Him. And it, we can no longer, as a Christian, we can no longer use the failures of our parents as reasons why we live and act the way we do when you become a Christian. Because God is the Father. He's this great invested parent who loves His children and guides us and keeps His hand upon us. So this is what Paul calls us to do. He says, put away bitterness, put away wrath, put away anger. Be kind, be tenderhearted, forgive, because be imitators of God who is your Father. You're His children. Take your cue from Him. Now, three quick points here this morning. What does it mean to be like God in this thing of being kind? Well, first of all, it means that we are to forgive like He forgave. This is what He says. Let all, verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor be put away from you with all malice. <clears throat> be kind, tenderhearted. Forgiving <clears throat> as God in Christ forgave you. That means when we look at people who've sinned against us 
It means we drop it. We forgive them entirely. Does God ever bring it up in your life? As God forgave you, Matthew 6, 12, so we forgive others. It means to forgive all. It also means to forgive when we least feel like forgiving, when the person least deserves it. If you look at these words, let's go back to chapter 4, verse 31. Let all bitterness, notice the word all, let all bitterness, that's that undercurrent of irritability. Do you think God's irritable? There's an undercurrent here. We're just annoyed all the time. Hey, we need to be like our Heavenly Father and not be constantly irritable. Can I get an amen? And wrath. Put it, let all bitterness and wrath. Now that is deeper than irritability. That's, that's, uh, That's an inner anger that is unexpressed. We just kind of live with a chip on our shoulder and an attitude. That's not like God. Much to the contradiction of the way the world views God, I want you to know that God does not carry a chip on his shoulder. God loves people. God is tenderhearted. God is kind and God is gracious. That is what you have here. The third word that he uses in verse 31 is the word, he says, bitterness, wrath, that's that inner anger. And then the word anger is that, that which blows up. It just erupts. Temper tantrums. And, and then the word clamor, see, each one builds on the other. Clamor is the climax of all of it. Clamor is all of that loud noise and yelling. Uh, I was in a restaurant about a week or so ago, and, and two women, that I, I know they were sisters because they looked just like each other. And they, they, one of them got up and she kept yelling at the one who was sitting down. And she kept saying, you're embarrassing me. And she'd walk, she would walk across the restaurant and yell back at her, you're embarrassing me. I can't go out with you anymore. I'm not going with you anymore. And I'm sitting there thinking, I hope she don't pull out a gun and shoot everybody. That loud clamor, you know, the slamming of doors and the peeling of tires and the big noise you make when you're mad and you want the world to know that you're shutting this person out of your life. Are you glad God didn't do that to you? Clamor is when you want everybody to know that you're mad and you intend to stay that way. This is big. They have offended me. I can tell you of an experience years ago when I got so mad at my wife that I went to the bedroom and locked the door. She is not coming into my bed tonight. I mean, 
Maybe she didn't think that was a big deal, but I don't know. I'm just saying. Thank you, Lord, for the blessings of life. But I locked that door because I was mad. And I didn't tell her I locked it. I thought, well, let's let her figure it out. She comes, starts trying to get in here and get in my bedroom. And uh, I was laying there thinking about this, and it's, I can tell you that the Lord spoke to my heart, and he said, do you want me to do that to you? What? Lock the door and not let you into my presence. No. Okay, then you get up and unlock the door and let her into your presence. Okay. And I did. And you know what? She never even knew about it. She never even knew I was mad or that God rebuked me or that I got up and unlocked the door. She had not, She It's just like a whirlwind went over her head and she wasn't even aware of it. I at least wanted her to know I was mad, but no. But all that's clamor. And then what it... What, what do you do when you, you get mad and you yell and you walk out and you slam the door? And then what do you do? You go talk to somebody about how bad they are. See, look at the next word, and slander. See, he's building. Every word is building on the other. The ever-increasing anger and intensity. How does God move toward us? He doesn't act when he most wants to. That's being an imitator of God. And I'll tell you another one. He doesn't act when he would when we are most deserving of him being angry toward us. Um, give me that Hosea eleven passage. This is an amazing passage of scripture. Um I've just been reading through the Old Testament and reading Hosea 11. Look at how God pictures himself here in the people of Israel in the Old Testament, Old Covenant. When Israel was a child, I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. God here has pictured himself as a father, as a parent. Verse 2, it says, The more they were called, the more they went away, and they kept sacrificing to Baal, burning offering to idols. The more he called, Hosea 11.2, then the more they would run. But it was I who taught them, Hosea 11 verse 3. I taught Ephraim, which is another word for Israel, northern Israel. I taught him how to walk. I took him by the arms. Have you ever seen a parent teach the child to walk? He takes a hand in each hand and holds them up and walks them. He's teaching them them to walk. God says, I taught them how to walk. I took them by their arms, verse 3. And they did not know it was I who healed them. And then he says, I led them with cords of kindness and bands of love. I am the one who bent down and fed them. When, When a child is small, my, my least favorite stage, I was, I was involved in my, in my children when they were growing up and they were little. Um, 
sometimes Jan had to work and, and uh, church was small and I had to take care of the kids sometimes myself all day long. My least favorite part was not changing the diaper. You know what it was? Feeding them baby food. They, they didn't seem to know which orifice the food went into. It's like, does it go in here? Does it go through here? Does it go down here? That, uh, I, you couldn't tell whether they actually got any in them because it was all over and dried baby carrot food. Ugh, it was awful. God said, I bent down and fed them. When they were so small, they had to be spoon-fed. He's he's saying, this is the way Israel was. This is the way I took care of them. I was a father to them. I taught them to walk. I taught them to eat. I have been invested in them. And then in Hosea 11, there's a... In verse 7, it says, My people are bent on turning from me. Now, I would put a period right there because the next phrase is Hosea's comment, not God's. The next phrase says, Though they call out to the Most High, he, he, third person now, he will not raise them back up. See, Hosea is thinking, God's done all this for them. They're so ungrateful. They're still seeking idols. They may call to him, Hosea says, God won't raise them up again. God's done. But look how God responds, verse 8. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? O Israel, how can I? How can I just hand you over? My heart melts within me. My compassion grows. It gets bigger. When your sins get bigger, your pain gets worse. My heart gets worse as well, more tender and more my compassions expand. I will not, verse 9, execute my burning anger. That's the God of heaven. Don't let anybody ever tell you that God, the God of the Old Testament, is so ferocious. He's not the God of the New. The God of the Old Testament is kind and loving, and He is the one who sent His Son to die. I love the God of the Old Testament. He's wonderful. He's our Father. But Hosea pictures this God like a father. And Paul is saying here, when the anger has built up so much, remember how God did. Just like in Hosea 11. He still couldn't give us up. We're to be like God our Father by forgiving all, putting aside our anger when we don't want to, by forgiving and being kind and tender when we least want to and people least deserve it. One other thing, and that is we should note that there is no other father like the heavenly father. Because notice in verse 2, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering to God. He, he also puts it up in chapter 4, verse 32, as God in Christ forgave you or because of Christ. The triune God 
The Father came in the Son to die for us. There was never a break in the triune God. Father and the Son in their love for us. When you look at the religions of the world and religions of of the Old Testament, almost all of them, in fact, I don't know of any that didn't have some kind of sacrificial system. But it was always, you bring a sacrifice for your God. Here in the Christian faith, this phenomenal revelation in the New Testament that God was preparing the world for the greatest unveiling of God's love, and that is the revelation that He Himself would sacrifice Himself for us. God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. There's no precedent for this kind of religion. This is unique in the religions of the world, that that God would be His own sacrifice in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. There's nothing like that. All the religions of the world, come and bring something to your God and appease Him. And God says, I'm going to come and I'm going to pay the price myself. Billy Graham tells about how he was pulled over for speeding in, in his hometown or a town familiar to him there and. He's from Charlotte, North Carolina, and it was a small town, and, and he, he said when he saw who the judge was, he, he thought, oh, I, I know the judge. We're friends. And uh, the bill, the ticket was like $90. And he thought, this, this guy is not going to make me pay this $90. And when it came time for the judge to consider his, his case, sounded the gavel, charged him $90. He was stunned. He thought, we're friends. He knows who I am. And then he realized that the judge had come down off his place, his seat in the court, and gone over to where you, you pay the bail, the bondsman, and paid for his ticket. He kept justice and paid the bill at the same time. That's the way God has, has done for us. God has revealed himself through Jesus Christ. He has kept the law. He has kept justice, but he has paid the price through Jesus Christ.